Hey guys, welcome back to the show, W2 Prison Break Nation. Hope you're having a super excellent day. Today I'm giving you a snippet from episode number 46 of the W2 Prison Break Show with John Rickgarn. And in this snippet, I just want you guys to hear about John's aha moment about when he was working in his W-2 job and saving for a retirement that wasn't guaranteed. So I want you to hear that. He had a couple of aha moments that I want to share with you and then listen to the full episode of 46 afterwards because there's a lot of great nuggets in there from the full interview. You're going to hear how he got his first deal, how he started learning about real estate and how he started really utilizing his travel time for his job to learn and get educated, something that a lot of us don't do. So let's get to the show. We're just going to dive right into the interview with John, and you're going to hear all about his first deal and his aha moments. I was reading a little bit about on your website, we'll get to that in a minute here, but you had a pretty interesting blurb that you put in there, if you will, about <laughs> how your wife came to you a while back. I want you to tell that story, and then we'll kind sure. of pick that apart and dive into it, please. Yeah. So uh, this was my aha moment, if you want to call it, where my uh, wife was working at a very demanding, stressful job. And long story short, she had just had it. So like, I'm done. Call me up. It's like, yep, I support you. have been miserable for months. And she always wanted to go back, get her doctorate, become a college professor. That was her dream job. And it's like, I fully support you. And we still got my income. We'll be okay, et cetera. And I don't remember the exact day, but it was an evening of November, 2014. And my mind was just kind of going, it's like, all right, we're going to be down to one income. Obviously going to have uh, student loans start clipping up with her going back to her doctorate. And at the time I was in office equipment sales. So I started thinking of, okay, I can upgrade this machine earlier. I can add this, I can push this proposal, et cetera, et cetera. And just had an awakening moment then that at that point I was 31 years old and if I was to essentially relive my entire life, that 31-year span, I'd be working 40, 50, 60 hours a week during that whole time, and I still wouldn't be at the arbitrary retirement age of 62 or 65. You know, 65, that society always pushes. And then the second aha moment was like, well, what's to say I'm going to get there because both my parents passed away of cancer in their 50s. So then I was, what's the point of deferring all this for later in life, work, 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 save, save, save for a tomorrow that isn't guaranteed. And that was just my awakening moment of, I don't know what my path forward is going to be, but I need to make a change. Awesome. I love it. You said a lot there. Number one, good on you for supporting your wife in her wanting to get out of the W-2 because mm -hmm. not a lot of people would have done that. They said, hey, right. we need your income. You got to suck <laughs> it up. So really good on you to do that and support her. Obviously, it sounds like it had been marinating for a while. Okay, so your income's basically going down to half, it sounded like you said. Yeah, give or take roughly, yeah, so. All right, so that could be very daunting for a lot of people. Like, did you have to change your lifestyle, like your expenses? I mean, talk a little bit about not tremendously. So at the time, we were the so-called acronym, the DINKS, double income, no kids. <laughs> so we did have a fair amount of discretionary income. Yeah, we traveled, we went out to eat a fair amount. So it wasn't like, oh my gosh, we're barely scraping by and now we're going to be in poverty. But obviously you're going to have to make adjustments of, okay, we're going to eat out less. And like I said, I started looking at my job where I had a salary plus commission. It's like, well, the commission is not capped at a level so I can 
work harder and make more money. And then the other piece, John, that I wrote down was, I mean, at 31 years old, very insightful to have that. I certainly didn't think that way. 31, <laughs> 31 years old, I was of the mindset like, hey, I'm going to work here for another 30 years and I'll yep. be right as, right as rain because that's what my dad did, right? Yeah. What was the event with your wife? What kind of made you think about that? Or did you have some other epiphany that? Yeah, it was, like I said, it was just really kind of that. But then also, I mean, like I said, my parents passed away in their 50s. My dad passed away when I was 11. My mom when I was 16. And I don't know, we've just been so ingrained of go to school, get a job, work, save for 30, 40 years, and eventually retire. And it was really just this awakening moment of, well, what's to say I'm going to make it to age 65? I mean, not to say, yep, I know I'm going to die early, but tomorrow's never guaranteed. And it's just society as a general, we are just like shoving this square peg in a round hole of you must do this, you must do this one path. And I just figured it's like there has to be a different path than the traditional one. All right. So now we're, we're going to fast forward here. So give the listeners the rest of that story. What ended up happening with your wife? And then let's talk about what you're doing now and everyone that you're helping. Sure. So my wife did leave her job. Well, she went back to college, but you know, she found a couple little like part-time gigs or side gigs, if you want to call it that. But fast forward, then she graduated let's see, this was 2019, and started working full-time at the university at fall of 2019. So she's in her fourth year, if my math is right. <laughs> so that was a lot of studying, a lot of reading, a lot of lectures, a lot of proofreading papers in that time frame. there. As far as myself, I was at the point of, I didn't know what I didn't know. But at the time, it was in sales. It wasn't uncommon for me to put 100, 200 miles a day and then I came across this thing called podcast. I'm not much of a audio or audible book reader. I like to actually physically read books, but I did find podcasts entertaining. So I'm like, well, I'm behind a windshield five days a week. Might as well make more use of it than listening to music. And just went down various rabbit holes of real estate investing, promissory notes, Roth IRAs, tax strategies, et cetera. And like I said, this was late 2014. I started, made my first real estate investment in 2016, just been building it up slowly since then and has grown to a portfolio across five states as of this recording. Awesome. I love it. Okay. So you learned all of this stuff by watching podcasts. Did you supplement any of it with courses or coaching or anything like that? Not really any courses or coaching. I did a few seminars. There was one I went to Indianapolis put on by Epic Real Estate with Matt Ontario, which I liked a lot of the concepts, but I'm more of a buy and hold investment. I'm not a flipper. I'm not a wholesaler. I'm not a syndicator or anything like that. I just like the buy and hold strategy and get monthly passive cash flow. That's my philosophy of just getting multiple diverse streams of passive income that aren't dependent on you putting in a six, eight, 10 hour workday. Love it. Okay, you're doing this alongside while you were still working your W-2. Do I have that correct? Yeah. You know, like I said, I started my education piece really early 2015, made my first real estate investment in 2016. Then September of 2019, I left my W-2 job, ironically, when my wife went back into the workforce, but she was in a lot better place and enjoyed her work at that point. So, All right. So this is important for a timeline because... I talk a lot about giving yourself a realistic timeline if mm -hmm. you want your life to change. You didn't just jump in and quit. <laughs> right. So you spent a year, about a year educating yourself. Then you did your first real estate deal. So it sounds like three to four years from the time that you really got serious and started it was when you left. Correct. Okay. Yeah. It was, 
Yeah, almost five years from the time that I had my epiphany to the time that I turned in my resignation letter. So awesome. Well, good for you. And the other question I'll ask you was that five years, did it feel like a long time? Looking back in hindsight, I would say yes. The last year, it was when I started seeing the momentum building where my philosophy has always been financial freedom, one bill at a time. So I broke down my monthly expenses and would match them up with monthly income streams. So real life example, my investment property in Memphis, Tennessee through Mid-South Homebuyers, that pays for our two life insurance policies and our natural gas bill every month. So I just started to match those up and it got to the point of, okay, well, that bill's paid for by passive income. That bill's paid for by passive income. And more and more of the regular, shall I say, fixed monthly bills were on autopilot. And I mean, I'm a real estate agent. I have a number of side hustles as well that I enjoy doing, but I have that more from the supplemental income where Okay, if I want to work harder, sell a large house, get a five-figure payday, it's like, okay, let's, I don't know, go on a cruise or buy another investment property then. Maybe talk about maybe a strategy or two that you love, or maybe your first deal, Matt, I leave it to you. Everyone's always interested in how to do deals. Well, I I always kind of share my first deal because it's unique. A lot of people say, you know, start with a single family home and then work your way up, you know, multiplexes. And I just did everything reverse. Our first property was a fourplex. (laughs) and. I hit all the criteria, hit the 1% rule. It was newer construction, didn't have to worry about lead paint, asbestos, caving roof, all that fun stuff. But, you know, okay, fourplex, $300,000. And it's like, oh, geez, am I biting off more than I could chew here? And I still remember a quote from Robert Kiyosaki of, don't say, I can't afford it. Ask, how can you afford it? I mean, it was pretty daunting. It's like, okay, 25% down payment plus closing costs on a $300,000 property. You can do the math. It's like, you know, I don't have that under a mattress, (laughs) but I just kind of started to think it's like, okay, what are some options? And came down to it. Our financial advisor said, we've had this Roth IRA since you were 19. Did you know you could take out your contributions tax-free, which I didn't know. I was always told you put money in a retirement account. You don't touch it till 65. So the down payment was very anti-Dave Ramsey, anti-Susie Orman, pulling money out of a Roth IRA. And that was the down payment for our first investment property. Did you still have that deal? Yep, still have it actually. So I've already uh, refinanced once when the rates were starting to go lower and refinanced to 4.5%. So actually bumped up our cash flow about $400 a month, I think at the time. Plus it was a little longer amortization schedule. Yeah, still have that deal. And like I said, expanded into Arizona, Iowa, Alabama, and Tennessee since then. Yeah. And clearly you don't live in all those places at once. So <laughs> right. <laughs> the thing I do like about, I'll ask you to expand on investing out of your markets really forces you to think more like a business owner because you got to get all the people to help you take care of the stuff, right? Right. What do you do? I always do a site visit. Is actually, let's see, this was... 2019, my wife and I, we did a road trip, checked out uh, numerous turnkey markets. Some we liked, some we didn't, but we've always wanted to invest in places we like to visit. You know, we kind of, so I say, felt at home there. We're nice attractions. It's like, hey, it'd be nice to visit here because then going down the rabbit hole, you can take additional tax deductions and write off your vacations. But we really like Birmingham, Alabama, Memphis, Tennessee, have been invested in those since then. The Arizona one was actually a really strange story. It ended up being a friend of a friend of my father-in-law who was looking to sell his condo. He did it as a VRBO. We bought it off market. We use it once or twice a year when we're staying down in Tucson and we rent out the rest of the time. 
And we got in right before the crazy real estate market. So it's about doubled in value since we bought it. Wow. You're going to hit some home runs if you're in the Yeah, game. not that that's the normal path. Not that you should expect that every time, but it's just like, wow, that was unexpected. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay. You've handled the money block. This is a huge block for most people that are looking to leave their job is they just don't know how to make money in other ways. And they yeah. don't understand that money's literally everywhere and you mm. just have to learn how to get it, right? Right. So you eliminated the money fear. That was probably one of the blocks you had leaving your job. Anything else that was kind of preventing you from leaving the W-2? I guess probably the, you know, having enough of a safety cushion, so to speak. So like 2019, I knew I was on my way out. So there was a number of deals where, you know, hey, this lease doesn't expire for another six, 18 months. It's like, well, I'd rather upgrade it now and get paid something versus leave that money on the table. So 2019, I had my second best year. And I say second best too, because it was about eight and a half months of the year when I left. Well, stacked cash, so to speak, as Dave Ramsey called it, but also had a game plan in place where, okay, now my wife's going to be working full-time where right, wrong, right, different health insurance is probably one of the biggest kickers for entrepreneurs wanting to leave their jobs. Oh, geez, what about those health insurance premiums? It's like, well, if you're married, have a family member that can supplement that, that can take a big burden off your shoulders. What was like your first step that maybe was a little bit daunting that got you the momentum to get that four unit? I think the first step was really just being very clear with what I wanted. I had, like I said, I really wanted to go with the buy and hold. My wife said from day one, we're doing a property manager. We're not self-managing. I'm like totally in agreement. And I had my criteria of what I was going to look for. I'm at the 1% rent to value ratio, newer build, et cetera. And even my wife said, well, you'll never find that. And it just happened to pop up on the MLS one day. And sure enough, it's, well, the good news is it met all the criteria. The bad news is it's over double what I was intended on paying because it's a fourplex, not a single fan. Okay, guys, that's the snippet. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got a nugget or two out of that. Remember to go listen to the full episode from April 12, 2023, episode number 46 with John Rickgarn. And I want to remind you about my brand new mastermind, the W2 Prison Break Nation, an online community of like-minded people who all want to fire their boss in 2024 and become the CEO of their own business. If you're interested in learning more about the group, I leave a link in the show notes. Check it out. And I hope to see you in there. Make it a great day. I'll see you on the next episode.